Look, there's no party like a BYU party, okay? Everyone knows snitches get stitches, and you have no stitches. No, no stitches that. here, yes. right? BYU joined the Big Sky for a year. Yeah. For the record, I am the only one that loves to party. Uh, Nobody else I, can say that. I know for a fact you don't party. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now is Stadium College Football Insider, Brett McMurphy, back on the show on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Brett, welcome back to the show. What a time in college football. How would you sum up uh, the last four days watching the Big Ten and Pac-12 decide to go conference only? Uh, depressing. <laughs> because, I, you know, not necessarily that they went conference only, but the fact that, you know, when the Big Ten announced it, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren, you know, said that basically, you know, we're hoping we can do this if there is a season and there's a possibility we may not have a season. And I think that's pretty telling. I mean, you know, commissioners and athletic directors, they will share their thoughts with you privately um, about what they think will, will be happening. But usually they, they try to keep the pessimism out of the public domain. And certainly when he said that, that jumped out at me. And then Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner over the weekend, also expressed his concern that there may not be a season in the fall. And so I think, uh, you know, that's a very, very likely reality. And, you know, I think we'll have a more definitive answer when we get to the end of July, 1st of August. Yeah, it's certainly negative momentum trending that direction that doesn't make it feel like we're going to play, but we're trying to figure things out, right? And so this conference-only decision, we've postulated what we think has gone into that, but why is it that the Power Fives are saying, let's play conference-only? Well, a a couple of reasons. One, I don't think they believe they can get a full 12-game season in because, you know, you're going to have, you know, Ohio State, North Carolina, Maryland on Saturday – um, you know, they had to shut down voluntary workouts because they had a, a major outbreak of positive test. Well, if that happens in season, then you're going to have game postponements, cancellations, no contest, whatever you want to call them. So they're trying to build in a, additional open weeks so that you can have a, you know, two-week quarantine period built in. You can have possible makeup dates set in there. So if you do that, you can't play 12 weeks. So if you can't play 12 weeks, what do you, what, what's the next best thing? Well, if you're in a conference, it's playing only your conference members. So then you, you lock that down to your conference members. And then if you wanted to add a, an additional non-conference game, what the power five leagues want to do is they want to play power five only opponents in the non-conference schedule. And it has nothing to do with competition. But it has to do with the testing guidelines and safety measures at these other Power Five schools. They know that, you know, because of the, you know, financial advantages they have over the the non-Power schools, that they can test more frequently. They have different, um, you know, protocols, et cetera. And so they don't they don't want to have uh, if they have like one through fifty guidelines or requirements for for their safety uh, measures, they don't want to play a non-power school that maybe can afford to do half of those and, you know, put their student-athletes in that predicament. So that's kind of basically what they're doing 
uh, in a nutshell or what they're hoping to do. But still, we don't know how many games the Big Ten's going to play or the Pac-12, the, the ACC. You know, they're trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, John Swafford, their commissioner, told me that they would allow Notre Dame um, to kind of be under their wing and be included if Notre Dame needs games, which, like BYU, Notre Dame's had a majority of, of opponents, um, you know, cancel already. And so that's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, you know, hopefully we get to that point and we have some weird schedules, teams playing different numbers of games. But I don't see anybody across the country playing 12 games this fall, even if we're able to play. Stadium College Football Insider Brett McMurphy with us on BYU Sports Nation. Brett, do you envision any Power 5 conference not following suit for for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and uh, not approaching a conference-only campaign? No, I think I think what you'll see, you may have like a you may have conference only and then a plus one non-conference where you can get up to nine or or maybe ten, but nobody's going to play twelve again for the the reasons I outlined about you know you, there's not enough inventory to play more than one non-conference opponent in the Power Five, and they're not going to play non-Power Fives. Uh, because of the, the safety issues and, and all, all of those things or their perceived safety issues or concerns. So, um, and again, based on wanting to have these additional open dates, you simply can't fit in a 12-game season and add multiple, um, multiple possible open dates or makeup dates. And then on top of all that, you know, most of these schools are ending classes uh, at Thanksgiving, so the students aren't coming back after Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the student athletes, I'm sure, will stick around if we're at that point. And then there has even been discussion of moving the conference championship games back a week or two, again, to build in more flexibility for these schedules. So I don't see any way, anyhow, um, any of these power leagues will play 12 games. And then for the non-power leagues, financially it doesn't make sense to play that many games because you've already lost your big payday by playing on the road against a power five team. And with the, you know, capacities estimated, at least in the NFL, it may be a fourth stadiums, a fourth full. I think I don't see college, college stadiums being any different. So you're not making a great deal of money by playing additional games um, on the, on the non-power level. So I think that's why, it kind of looks like everyone will go with this conference-only model or conference-plus-one model. The ACC hasn't said what they will do, but they uh, just announced they're going to suspend indefinitely their media days, which were scheduled for next week. So that little domino falls, I guess. No guarantee, Brett, that the spring provides any relief from this, but there's some conversation of that. JUCO expected to announce they're going to move to the spring. Ivy League has delayed. Is that any kind of possibility? Would that make any kind of sense for FBS to move to spring potentially? Well, I mean, again, it's the university presidents have to make this decision. And I believe me, I know all, and I agree, I know all of the challenges of playing in the spring. You know, half of your starters aren't going to play because they're going to be holding out for the NFL draft. Um, you know, the, the season ends and then the next season starts in three months. You'd be asking student athletes to play two football seasons in one calendar year. I, I understand with all, with all those reasons. I agree with them, but it boils down to this. How critical is the revenue for playing football in the spring? Um, how much does that outweigh all of those challenges I just mentioned? 
And all I know is, you know, in the past three months, I've been reaching out to all 130 athletic directors in the FBS and their thoughts on the upcoming college football season. And even back in April, um, you know, I had a few ADs say, you know, look, if we don't play football in the fall or the spring, we are bleeped. And that's because, you know, how critical it is, this football revenue for each of these universities. And so if we can't, if nobody can play in the fall, then they've got to make a decision in the spring. Is it worth a fourth of the revenue, a half of the revenue that they would generate to deal with all of these challenges, all of these issues that they're going to encounter playing in the spring? On top of that, you know, you've got different areas of the country. Um, you know, you've got Wisconsin. You know, can you really play football in the spring up there where the state won't thaw out until maybe April? So what are you going to do the first month of the season? I mean, you've got a lot of issues like that across the country. Um, but, again, you know, no surprise here. It all boils down to money. And uh, financially, does it make sense to play in the spring? Then they'll try to play in the spring. And what would be, yes, a watered-down product that would not compare to anything we've seen in, in the fall? Talking with Brett McMurphy of Stadium Sports right now on BYU Sports Nation. Brett, let's say one of the better case scenarios does happen, and conference only is eight or nine game seasons for most of these Power 5 teams. But in the case of BYU football, what would an eight or nine game schedule look like for the Cougars based on what is uh, available out there? And is it is it viable financially for a group of five teams to keep BYU on their schedule? Well, I mean, certainly, um, I mean, yeah, Tom Holmo, if he didn't have the hardest job in America, you know, before all this, he certainly does now, at least in college athletics, because he doesn't have the luxury of Notre Dame and the ACC arrangement. So if the Power Fives are not playing non-conference, I don't think any of the group of fives will play non-conference. Now, maybe they pair up regionally. Um, you know, maybe you see Conference USA and the Sun Belt, you know, swap swap opponents so teams don't have to fly from El Paso to, to Virginia or El Paso to Florida or stuff like that. Uh, but I don't think they're going to play, not just play non-conference games just to say, hey, we want to play more non we want to have more games on our schedule because financially it's, it's going to be a wash. The TV money is obviously not as significant. And again, the the, the attendance numbers are not going to be that, that big. So I think they'll concentrate on doing conference only. Also, the people I talked to at the Group 5 level basically said they're, they're not going to announce anything until all the Power Fives have announced their intentions. Um, so I think after that happens, they would announce conference only. And so what, what does that happen with BYU? Well, unfortunately, there's, there's I don't see many options. And the most likely options would be playing the other independents, you know, Army, Yukon, Liberty, New Mexico State. Uh, you know, I know that compared with what you guys had scheduled before the season, doesn't, you know, smells like bad fish. But you know what? It's better than the alternative, and that's not having any games at all. Uh, you know, maybe there's some FCS programs in the area that, that would be able to play. Um, maybe you could find a, a group of five school or two in the area that would be willing to play a non-conference game. But, you know, it's going to be very difficult. And you could have, you know, BYU and those schools I mentioned uh, doing home-and-homes to get up to eight games or get up to ten games and just trying to 
you know, get through this season with some type of revenue, some type of season, and then, you know, regroup and, and hopefully things get back to normal uh, in 2021. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. Uh, regarding travel, we've asked this question because we're wondering about uh, obviously playing some local teams would be great. Uh, Utah is not an option now, but Utah State and Boise State and even UNLV and whatnot. And there's some FCS schools that would certainly make sense with Weber State and Southern Utah and Dixie and so on. But in, in terms of travel, we were wondering, do we really think that UMass and UConn and BYU would, would travel across the country to play each other? It feels like it might be a stretch as we get later into the season when it's getting colder, when perhaps there's another outbreak with it just being uh, you know, flu season or whatever. I, I'm not exactly sure. The independence makes sense, but the travel, I guess, is, is a question mark there. Well, no, that's a great question. And, and maybe because of that, they schedule those opponents early, for, right off the bat. And then towards the late, later part of the year, they, they kind of stay more regional. I mean, that's one way to go at it. And um, the other thing, I mean, once you get on an airplane, you get on an airplane. So I don't think the, the distance is an issue, but but as far as you're right, if there's different, um, you know, if the virus is, uh, you know, in a, a hot spot in different areas of the country, you certainly don't want to visit those areas or, or have, you know, teams from that area coming to your region also. Um, but that's the same, you know, predicament these conferences are in. I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten, there's 14 schools in each league, but they're spread over 11, 11 states. So they may have those same issues within their own conference. So, yeah, uh, you know, maybe they look at look at something like you're suggesting and say, hey, let's get the let's get the BYU UConn games, you know, out of the way right right off the bat Um, or UMass or Liberty or whoever, um, you know, (laughs) I guess pretty much everybody but New Mexico State's, you know, halfway across the country for BYU anyway. Uh, So that's again, that's that's what makes it so challenging and there's not an there's not an easy answer, and it's horrible, and it, I hate it for college athletics, but that's kind of where we're at right now. And um, you know, we the Patriot League today announced they're not playing in the fall. They they're one of the top FCS leagues. Uh, you know, Army and Navy competes in those leagues in basketball and other sports, and so now Army and Navy says they will continue to play those non-revenue sports, but now they don't have a league for those sports. So where are they going to find games for those guys? I know that's not football, but you know, it's, it's tough, man. I mean, you ask a great question and I answer it. And then I have 10 more questions for myself. <laughs> just imagine what all these, imagine what all these guys are going, guys and gals are going through trying to figure out, you know, how to make this work. Yeah, no question. Okay, Brett. Um, let's uh, try and uh, put a percentage on this thing. What, if you can, and if you're willing to do that, but what what percent chance do you have right now with the way things are trending that any college football will happen this fall? Uh, I was asked that earlier this morning. I said seventy percent. I think I'm at seventy five percent right now. I and, do, and look, if I'm wrong, bring me back on, re- rack this, and replay it, and say <laughs> you're wrong as rain. Put a dunce cap on me. I'm, I'll tweet it. I don't care. I just. Uh, again, it, the the main reason I think that is you see these more, the more and more you see these cancellations. And I'm not saying everybody's going to say, oh, well, if this, this school does it, this conference does it, or we're going to do it. What I see is university presidents are making this decision. They are not risk takers. And so if university presidents, they're the ones that make the decisions. If they deem that it's not safe 
for the entire student body to come back on campus and take classes on campus in classrooms, then I don't see how they jump to it's safe for student athletes to play football on their campus. Either both should be safe or both are not safe, but one cannot be safe and the other can be safe. And ultimately, I think that's what it boils down to. The university presidents will not take this risk even as how much financially it could decimate their athletic programs. And I think we try to try to see if we can play in the spring and, and hopefully that happens. But if not, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be frightening because I think you'll see a number of group of five schools drop football or drop to the FCS. If we have no football at all in the upcoming 2021 academic year. Brett, uh, we appreciate the insight, uh, and I so much hope that we are discussing actual college football at some point this fall. Um, and if, if there is, then uh, please, please come back on and join us so that we can celebrate something. <laughs> I'm sure BYU fans would much rather complain about the, the quality of BYU's schedule than thinking about not having any football. So I guess that's the best way to look at it. Yeah, no question. Thanks so much, sir. Thank you. Brett McMurphy on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Listen, that was a uh, discussion of relevant questions with limited answers, and Brett did his best to answer them. It's just kind of depressing and disappointing. It just kind of asked. We're just kind of feeling down going, how is this going to happen, right? And we've been talking about it. Like, one, how are you going to play? Two, who are you going to play? And who is not as important as how? If BYU and college football, if they figure out how to play, great. Because guess what? It's been fun to watch the English Premier League. It's been fun to watch Major League Soccer a little bit. Uh, Hopefully we can figure this out. Hopefully Hopefully uh, Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL can figure out how to uh, contain their own environments with professional teams, and there's something to watch. Yeah, yeah. even then it's hard to translate to how college football would happen. Football is just unique. It really is. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best to ever wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show, and determining, or two, who was the best athlete to wear each number at BYU. Today we hit numbers 48 and 49. Let's start with 48 and Jamison Frazier. He was a linebacker who played from 2008 to 2011. Great story. Uh, son of Danny Frazier, who was a good player on some of the late uh, 70s teams. He broke his neck and then uh, retired after his mission. But uh, he got Jameson was cut twice before walking on as wide receiver, switched to linebacker by his senior year. He was a captain. And uh, he, he finished the game as a junior where he broke his thumb in the first quarter against Nevada in the Colin Kaepernick game. Uh, Jameson Frazier, best to wear number 48, a pick against Utah. How about that? Yeah. Now we move. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you want he, to come? Sorry. He had an outstanding senior season. Uh, it was his best by far with six tackles for loss, multiple quarterback sacks. He had two fumble recoveries his senior year. Jamison Frazier is a success story, and yeah. I'm glad that you brought up uh, how hard it was for him in the beginning and then working his way to a defensive captain. And this is a defensive captain that was named by Bronco Mendenhall, of all people. Yeah, and his dad, uh, Danny, by the way, was one of the first uh, black members of the church to go on a mission that was on the football team. So he's notable historically for that. Number 49, Brady Papinga. Brady Papinga was awesome, man. 2001 to 2004, just really good on the defensive line, played some linebacker as well. And 02 led the Mountain West in sacks. 
three-time first-team All-Mountain West. I mean, there's not a ton of those guys. Selected in the fourth round in 05 by the Packers, played seven years in the league, part of the Super Bowl champs and with the Packers in Super Bowl 45. Uh, works as a sideline reporter for Fox Deportes, uh, is a uh, opinionist, a, a commentator. He's been on uh, Cowherd a bunch. He's been on our show a bunch. Uh, Brady Pinga, man, he was awesome. Always opinionated. And he gave us one of our favorite drops in the history of BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> Earl Hodge. <laughs> that alone should make him the best yes. ever. Just that would do it. <laughs> and look at those numbers. I mean, uh, 19 career sacks and 38 tackles for loss. Marv Allen of note, honorable mention on 49. He was a linebacker uh, in the 80s that was really, really good in the early 80s. Yeah, and I think sometimes we forget, and I'm glad you brought it up. B- BYU has a bunch of Super Bowl champions, and Brady Papinga is in that group. Yeah, dude. With the Packers, bro. Let's go. He's in that. Bo Hodge. Bo The best to wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show, and determining who was the best athlete to rock each number at BYU. Of course, 50, the halfway point, is the center of attention today. The and center of attention. Uh-huh. I like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Bart Oates, Trevor Maddich, and Greg Kite were all, I mean, you could argue that Greg Kite was the center. He was a center. I don't know how we distinguish between these three. All three guys were all league, tremendous player, all-American types in college, right? And then all had long careers in, in uh, either the NFL, a uh, li- little bit of USFL with Bart Oates in the NBA. We ain't giving it to just one. We're giving it to all three. Let's start with Bart Oates. I, we can't distinguish. These guys are awesome. They all want to place each other atop the pedestal. Yeah. Bart Oates, well, we don't know about Greg. Maybe he's selfish. Maybe he's like, it's, it's me. me. I don't know. Uh, I could relate with that. Bart Oates was fantastic. So he would have snapped the ball to Mark Wilson, Gifford Nielsen. Not in that order. Switch him. Jim McMahon and Steve Young. Are you kidding me? Also, good. Bart Oates nowadays, we just st- discovered today, looks like Merlin Olsen from Little House on the Prairie. Had the quick Oates <laughs> photos back when BYU used to do that. So it's awesome. Bart Oates was great. And Wilfred Brimley to uh, do the quick Oates reader. Do you have diabetes? <laughs> three Super Bowl, three-time Super Bowl champ, dude. He worked NFL games on NBC in 96 with Dan Hicks, by the way. Dan Hicks has been on this program. Perfect. Before the Notre Dame game. Okay, Trevor Maddich. Trevor Maddich, uh, our homie. We talk to him every week during the football season, college football season. You know, if there's one. He's great. He was the center on the national championship team, first-round pick to the Patriots, 12 years in the NFL. He actually caught a touchdown. It was a game winner. We talked about that with him before. We love Trevor. He wore 50 partly because Bart wore 50. And as he just told us, because of Scott Nielsen, yeah. a center that also mentored both he and Bart and was 220 pounds. That's amazing. Playing center at BYU in the late 70s. And then last but not least, Greg Kite, 6'11", 250, McDonald's All-American out of high school. Could have gone to Duke or Kentucky or UCLA. Came to BYU. He was a part of some amazing teams, most notably the 1981 team. Uh, I believe he was a sophomore on that team. He ends up uh, being a part of that team that goes to the Elite Eight, the greatest team in BYU history. Two-time NBA champ, 21st pick in the 83 draft. Interim assistant coach at BYU, by the way, with Tony Engel in 97. That was a forgettable year, but he was trying to do his best with that group. Greg Kite, man, he was part of the uh, the golden era of BYU hoops in the 80s. They were all at BYU at the same at the time. S- think about what the early 80s were like. Steve Young, Jim McMahon, Bartos, Greg Kite, they're all wa- Fred Roberts, they're all walking around campus. The golf team's winning the natty. I mean, listen. You, th- you think it's awesome now. It was awesome back then. Unbelievable. The three greatest to ever wear 50 all 
multiple years in their professional leagues, champions, all on BYU's campus at the same time. That was the golden era for sure. Crazy, man. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. We just spoke with Brett McMurphy, college football insider for Stadium Sports, a guy that worked for ESPN for a long time. He's been very, very active on social media, reporting different programs that are doing COVID testing, and he's been very heavily involved with uh, the fallout from the Big Ten and the Pac-12, gave us some really interesting insights into the group of five conferences uh, that are trending towards going conference only, and what does that mean for BYU? So, Jeremy, I'm trying to... Based on that conversation and what BYU has left on the schedule, I'm trying to piece together like a nine-game schedule for BYU and, and what that would look like. But, frankly, it's, it's, the prospects are not great. I actually have the schedule that BYU is going to play, um, and it includes uh, a lot of Notre Dame, which is awesome. So, uh, at Mike uh, Wurstling uh, on Thursday night, proposed this schedule. BYU opens... Uh, Notre Dame opens with BYU at home, then they're at BYU, then BYU, then at BYU, then BYU, then at BYU, then BYU, then a bye, then at BYU, BYU, at BYU, BYU, and at BYU. Man, they're going to need that bye week to uh, recover. I actually have the schedule via Mike on this. (laughs) No, I, I, BYU's not playing Notre Dame, I don't think. Like, why would they play now? Oh, because they're both open. I still don't think that's the issue. I, I think the... The travel issue is a legit one. I, I do. I, I think if BYU is going to play any kind of schedule that's like nine games or whatever, they're going to need some local teams. I, I'd be surprised if your SUs, your Dixies, who's an FCS independent, by the way, thanks to uh, people tweeting at me about that, reminding me. Uh, Weber State as well with Jay Hill. I, I think that those would make sense. You can get up to two to count towards bowl eligibility. Fans in the stands, bowl eligibility, that's not in my mind right now. One is how are we going to play? Two is who are you going to play? I think if there was some informal connection with the Mountain West that you could continue those games, there's not going to be anything formal. Utah State, Boise State, San Diego State, those would be great. Add Wyoming, add Colorado State. They're all around. There's a reason BYU was in the, the league with those teams for a long time, right? New Mexico State makes sense. Would UConn and UMass and Liberty still make sense? Um, would they come here? Would BYU go there? Would you play a home and road with them? That's not that's not uh, impossible. New Mexico State and Liberty did this two years ago. Sure, I, d- I don't think that BYU is to that point, especially if the season is short. Like if if we're talking about filling twelve games, then yes, BYU would probably have to play a home and road scenario with a few of the independent teams. But it kind of feels like we're pulling it back to like nine games, just so uh, there can be more leeway. Well, let's talk about that. So start the season. Late September. Late September, early October then. Just to give yourself more time to figure out what I've been saying or is you bump answer it up. questions. Or you bump it up from September and end it in mid-November. If I mean, That makes more sense to me. Right? Because I think we anticipate a, a bump later in COVID. Like, here, here's the other thing. We're talking about 2020. I, I'm asking other questions like, okay, what about basketball? I'm also asking this. What about next year? We don't know when this is going to go away. We don't know. Is 2021 going to be affected? We're just tackling what's right in front of us, which makes logistical sense. But I'm wondering next year, like spring ball for football, will that happen at all? Because valid points by people. We don't know that in the spring it's going to be any different. It would just give us more time to hopefully lessen what's going on, right? That's, that's what's going on in Europe. And guess what? 
So English Premier League plays soccer games. We're like, oh, they're way ahead of us, right? They don't play with fans. Korea's playing with fans, though. Baseball. Japan is. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. So Korea's not. It's Japan. It's Japan. I think it's the Japanese baseball. Okay. League. Yeah. I thought it was Korea. Uh, but Korea's been they're playing, playing, but I don't know that with they're playing with fans. fans now, which is wild. So it's like, what are you doing, and how can we do that? Does Karen have to wear a mask for us to get there? Like, I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know. Okay, just listen to this potential schedule. And, and I literally put this together during the break. Okay? So it's well thought out. Yes. <laughs> Over 120 seconds. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I've been thinking about it all weekend. And then Brett McMurphy just kind of prompted an idea for us because you and I were asking, would UConn, UMass, and Liberty really travel across the country? Or would BYU or travel across right. the country there to play that game? And if it's earlier... It kind of, for whatever reason, it, it feels better because it's not in the well, peak of flu season. You have right? to address whether they're even available. UConn, UMass, Liberty, and Army, New Mexico State. Like, if BYU could play three or four of those teams in the first five to six weeks of the season, that's the best case scenario if the traveling, heavy traveling, is involved. And it's then heavy be, traveling regardless. Bring on two FCS teams, let them bust a Provo. Great. Whether it's Southern Utah, Idaho State, Weber State, Dixie State, and St. George, which has been sanctioned for uh, FBS uh, to play FBS teams this year. And then can BYU. They are an FCS independent. Can BYU keep at least two Mountain West Conference teams? So keep at least Utah State and Boise State. Well, BYU is keeping them until they're not, right? Well, if, if the Mountain West Conference goes. Okay, uh, we're going to go conference only, but we're going to do a plus one, and you get to choose who you can play. Like, can BYU convince Utah State and Boise State to keep playing those games, right? Yeah, hopefully Boise State. Like, please, please play those games. And maybe UN or maybe UNLV, if, if Utah State says, nope, we're not doing it, or Boise State says, no, we're not doing it, just go get somebody else. And then I you think have they'll like be more games. aggressively wanting to do it. I, I think it's the power fives that are going, no, 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 we want that. I don't, I, there's a divide there, and that divide is also uh, ideological. And emotional that the group fives are like, no, no, no. We want the best situation for, for us as well. We're not going to just uh, not play other group of fives per se. It, it may be a just policy and governance issue, which it seems like it's that way in the power five, but the power five also work for the benefit of the power five. They don't work for the benefit of college football. They don't work for the benefit of FBS. They work for the benefit of themselves, which at the end of the day, most people do. You just do what's best for you and those close to you. Man, there are just so many layers to this conversation because then you just look at the coaches want to play because they want to advance and develop their programs. Like they want to, they want to be doing something. They want to get paid, and they want to earn their money. Job. Sure, yeah. and and universities need this. Brett McMurphy talked about it. What football schools are going to have to ditch more sports and or football if there's no fall season? It is a massive proposition where teams. Uh, and, and BYU's uh, under this same stress in terms of financially. Yes, it's backed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which uh, has been extremely smart with its money for a long time now, right? And has the ultimate subscription fee, right, of tithing. I love paying it. It's great. Uh, but that doesn't mean that BYU football is going to be just like scot-free, no worries if there's no football. There's still stress and the church isn't just going to write a blank check saying, oh, yeah, cover all your needs. We're all good. It's very calculated and well thought out of what's distributed where. So the athletic department is certainly stressed right now thinking about how to make sure they can 
make as much money as they can and maintain all this. No one wants to cut sports. No one wants to not play. So you got to figure out what's best in all of this, and uh, you'd hope that nobody is uh, overly negatively affected yeah. in this. Man, right now it seems like if there is a college football season for BYU specifically, the best options are figure out a way to play all five of the other independents. Notre Dame's probably not going to happen, or I'd say six other independents. Yeah. Get two FCS teams, maybe more in there. I mean, maybe- Depends if. Yeah, bowl eligibility. What are you and, playing to just play? Like, and what's then the point? try and yeah. keep your rivalry regional games with uh, Boise State and Utah State, and then you've got hopefully eight something. or nine games, right? Yeah. You've got something. I mean, there will come a point. Mark my words in this conversation where we'll say, "Oh, I would just take all FCS right now." <laughs> yeah. Well, what if the <laughs> that, big that, that will happen what later? What that will happen later. This guy steps in and says, "BYU, join the big sky for a year." Yeah. Uh, no. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. It is now our pleasure and exciting opportunity to welcome in a member of the BYU Hall of Fame, a three-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Pro Bowler, and president of the NFL Alumni Association, Bart Oates, on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Bart, welcome to BYU Sports Nation, making your show debut. Hey, thank you very much. I am honored. I mean, uh, this is one of those things, you know, it's one of those bucket list items, so I can check that one off. You mean for us? (laughs) Uh, It's my bucket list, yeah. Hey, Bart, are you going for Merlin Olsen? I'm waiting for a phone call. Are you going for Merlin Olsen Little House on the Prairie look? I like it. Yeah, no, this is my COVID look. Uh, I just uh, figured we're not, uh, we're here. We, we're isolated, been quarantined. So I said, uh, my wife's not real happy about it, but um, as soon as the uh, quarantine is over with, the uh, the beard goes. Okay. Well, clearly you have uh, a face and a voice for TV. And with that in mind, uh, we did some research and, and found out that you were a wedding guest in a 1992 episode of Guiding Light. What do you remember about that? Uh, nothing, as a matter of fact. I, I, I didn't know that. Really? You sure? It's not a thing. It didn't yeah, tell me about that. That's news to me. Usually, it's a, I get I get hit up about the uh, uh, the Hunger Teen uh, episode, but um, no, that I don't know about. Our, our research team. We're gonna have to check with them. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk okay. to them about that. Okay. Obviously, we just needed you on the show. You're one of the BYU legends, but. Number 50 is a number that is hotly contested uh, between mm. you and Trevor Maddich and even Greg Kite. We're going to have Trevor Greg on as Kite. well. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Crazy, number 50. So I guess make the case for who you think is the best number 50 in BYU history among those three. Well, I'll put myself at number three. Uh, I think Trevor had a much better uh, co- collegiate career than I did. He was on the national championship team. He was All-American. He was a first-round draft pick. I didn't even get drafted in the NFL. I went to the USFL. Um, so I, I, mine was a bit uh, circuitous uh, as it was. And then Greg Kite was just a stud on the basketball court. So, um, you know, I, I'll say it, it's be, me, it's between Trevor and uh, Greg. Uh, like both of them, they're both good friends. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to give them both a, a one and one A. 
So you said that Trevor had a much more uh, prestigious collegiate career than you, Bart, but then you yeah. go on to the pro scenario where you're a three-time Super Bowl champion, a five-time pro bowler. So can we make you number one once you guys got to the pros? Is that fair? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm hey, I'm honored to just be in in the uh, be considered with uh, Greg and with uh, Trevor. So I'm happy about it. Let's talk about the difference of what linemen do nowadays versus back then. Because you are listed at six four two forty two. I saw another spot six four two sixty five. It was a different era, right? In terms of the size that you were as a lineman. Say nowadays you'd have you'd have to be pushing two ninety three ten, right? Oh, it was, you know, it was amazing. So I was, I came in, uh, Roger French, um, whom many former linemen from BYU just revere, um, was this very iconic figure um, as offensive line coach. He was this prototypical line coach and just kind of a mad scientist type guy. And that's what most really good offensive linemen coaches are. are. Um, You know, he could take a guy and, and just work with him and, you know, he was a guy that took me. I came in at, um, I think when I first came to BYU, my freshman year, I was right around 30, 35. I went on a mission, came back about 42, and I left BYU about 65. Um, and yet, you know, it was, um, he, we were, right, we passed the ball, passed it a lot with uh, Jim McMahon's young when I was there. And um, so all we had to do, just pass block. And, and so you didn't need a huge huge guys, just guys that were good techniques and could work together. And, and, and he was able to, he was a master at being able to take that and taking guys and do that. Bart, you hail from Albany, Georgia. And as you mentioned, uh, played with Steve Young and Jim McMahon and played on some iconic teams coached by Lavelle Edwards. How would you differentiate between those two great quarterbacks at BYU? How, how were they maybe similar and, and how were they different? <laughs> Uh, I can tell you they were different. I'm not sure. (laughs) You know, no, no, no. They, they were, you know, they were both great quarterbacks, but very different, Um, different mentality, different, you know, I mean, Jim was this, this guy that had this just unbelievable. He exuded this confidence that you're like, you know, when you got on the field with Jim McMahon, you just like, he took over. He was this guy. And then Steve Young was this guy that, he didn't. He wanted. Didn't want to disappoint anybody, and he just he wanted to win because others, you know, people would be disappointed, and and that's why the first start he went to Georgia and threw six interceptions. But anyway, that's that's a different story. Um, <laughs> you know, and and you know they were great uh, off the field, very different. Um, you know, and and had just a different way of, of going about it. Uh, but as far as football players, I mean. Got to be the two best football players that probably, you know, in my at least in my era anyway. Obviously, that that went through BYU. Give us some insight into kind of uh, what happened during your career because '77 is this amazing season. But Giff is going to be a Heisman finalist. He gets hurt. Mark takes over and is unbelievable. Right? Speaking of like six interceptions, you know, the second game after the seven touchdown game. But then you go on a mission. You come back. '80 is an amazing season. '81 was fantastic. '82, yeah. Steve's figuring it out. So that in '83, once you go to the USFL, he really turns it on. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, yeah. but. That, that was an interesting – so you end up snapping the ball to some of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history, a bunch of college football Hall of Famers. I mean, that was an unbelievable era. Hey, listen, the, the program 
was just had it under Lavelle and his tutelage and his leadership was able to take this really nondescript and a program that should never have any national prominence into this, you know, to a national championship, a national prominence. And, uh, and has been able to enjoy those, you know, quite frankly, enjoying it even today because of those, what happened 35, 40 years ago. Understandably, we have been reliving uh, many of the iconic moments within BYU football uh, just because, you know, it's something that we like to do in the summer. And given the world circumstances, we like. Yeah, to I don't, I don't to know this. if you heard about COVID, uh, but we're we do a daily show. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're digging deep into this uh, history of BYU yeah. football, um, and we love to get the perspective on those iconic moments from the players that lived it. So let's go to the 1980 Holiday Bowl against SMU. Uh, Jim and BYU, I mean, miraculously, even, or even in position to be close in this game, what do you remember about the Hail Mary uh, from that game? I mean, there's just so many moments, right? It, it's, um, it was like men against boys. I mean, SMU, people didn't know at the time, but that was, that was by far the best. That was the best team that money could buy. Um, you right. know, as it turned out and the money's, I mean, they were getting more than a lot of NFL guys were getting to, to, you know, I was that wheeling, they were, you know, running and gunning. And I mean, there was, there's all kinds of stuff going on down in Texas with, um, guys just, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and suitcases of money. It was, it was crazy. Uh, I played with a couple of the guys. They had nine guys off that defense that went on to become starters in the NFL Wow, on the Ooh. defensive teams. Um, you know, it was just a phenomenal, you know, Right, Dickerson and, and Craig James. I mean, it's just you go on and on and on. And uh, that offensive line was just—they were studs. I remember we we were warming up, looking out at him, going, "Oh my gosh!" You know, we, we thought we were pretty good, and then we got there. We just saw the physicality, just the physical nature of those guys. Those were men. I mean, we were like we were high school kids compared to them. So for us to even to be in a situation, you know. They had they they were beating us so bad. They wound up taking the second teamers out and putting third teamers in guys that probably never even played all season. And then when we started to get some rhythm going and five returns a touch, you know, punt for a touchdown, we, you know, we start making some stops and we make a few plays. And you know, once we got the momentum, it was it was we had that position where, it, although unlikely, you know, three seconds left and fifty yards to go, um, you know. They didn't put their starters back in who had been sitting out for almost a half and were completely, you know, I mean, these guys had to put their uniforms back on. <laughs> and uh, it was just, you know, and we were, you know, it, in the moment you just don't realize it, what, what it all means or what it's going to mean. But, um, you know, it just was, was very unlikely. And, um, I mean, I, I'm going against Michael Carter. Michael Carter winds up becoming a – he still holds the the, the – national high school record for shot put at 82 feet. He's, and I don't think anybody's come within like five feet of his record. He's, it's the longest standing high school track record that there is. And he was a silver medalist in the Olympics. He was the first round draft put, uh, pick for the uh, 49ers and was, a, you know, was just a stud of a defensive uh, t- nose tackle. He's a guy I was playing against. And he, he's beat me like a redheaded stepchild. Uh, it's just, I, it was so bad. And, um, I mean, I, I blocked him just enough, and he got around me. He was going to crush Jim. Jim just heaves it up into the end zone. You know, it goes through their arms into Clay Brown, and, uh, you know, we kick the extra point, and we win by a point. It's kind of unlikely. So once Clay catches that ball, are you then focused on 
hey, I got to go snap this to win the game. Are you? Are no, you? I wasn't snapping. No. Oh, you weren't no, snapping. Okay. No, 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 no. We had, you know, in college, you have enough guys where you have a specialty like they do in the NFL sure. just for that. I, I did in the NFL, but I didn't. I didn't have to snap in college. No. So, so, you so could, no. As soon as that happened, I said, "All right." I, I said, "My job." I had to go pick up Jim because uh, my guy just pasted Jim after he threw the ball. <laughs> so I had to go scrape him off the field and kind of help him. You know, he was kind of straighten his helmet was sideways, and uh, he, he took quite a few hits in that game. Bart Oates with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, we'll finish with this. One of your other former teammates has a prominent role within BYU Athletics, as in he is the athletic director, Tom Holmo. Uh, what yep. was Tom like as a teammate in that golden era? Uh, you know, he's a defensive back. I don't get involved with defensive back. I, don't, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you their names. Listen, I was an offensive lineman. If, I, you know, if it didn't really get you know, I had these blinders on. It's like this. Now, after the fact, I got to know – I got to know Tom really well. He was when I was in, went to San Francisco and playing with Steve. Um, we won the Super Bowl in '94. Uh, Tom was actually a defensive backs coach, and uh, we had a couple of other guys that were BYU guys, and so we had a, a pretty good collection there of uh, of BYU guys at San Francisco. So I got to know Tom, and Tom's a, a really good friend. He's done a great job uh, as the athletic director at BYU. A really leading all the you know entire athletic department into creating such you know opportunities and keeping us at that national prominence which is um uh it's hard to do in today's era particularly given the you know with the the power conferences and and you know the money's involved and uh, i just think it's just what byu's done is just phenomenal all right, we're going to send our crack research team to uh, double-check on all of your TV appearances, but we know for sure we can add you now to BYU Sports Nation. All right, thank you. Like I said, I, check, I checked off my bucket list today, one of the bucket list items. <laughs> Bart, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bart. Thanks, guys. Hey, and you know what? I'm proud to be in third place. Uh, Trevor and, and, um, and Greg Kite, those uh, two awesome dudes. An extremely humble approach. Thanks for the time, my friend. Thanks, guys. Bart Oates on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's one of the best players in BYU history, like at any position, right, in football. And we've never had him on, and I'm so happy that today we were able to have Bart Oates on. That was yes. great. And I I have a million questions. we got to have him on again. I, I have so many questions. That was great. And I also forgot that a long snapper existed, apparently. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Time for a little Too High, Too Low, or Just Right, presented by Bodyguards Protection for a Life Worth Living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Stadium Sports put out the results of a poll of college athletic directors about the confidence level of what they see out of the college football season. Let's discuss some of these. Too high, too low, or just right, Jason? Okay. Number one, 27% of FBS ADs believe the season will start as scheduled. Too high, too low, or just right? Um, I would say right now that's probably just right. That, that sounds about right to me. I, I think the, the pessimism surrounding everything, you would you would maybe say that it's too high right now. But but I, I would say it's... It's about right, so I'm good with that. Yeah, I think it's just right. Probably, you know, a quarter chance that it actually yeah. starts on time. And there's probably – well, here's the thing. Shouldn't we try and move stuff up? You would think you would move it up and avoid the late I season. Yeah. I don't know. Can you move it up right now? I don't know. I don't know. 
Lots, lots, uh, lots of unknowns. All right, Jerem, 25%. These numbers are depressing. Yes, I know. 25% of FBS ADs believe it will be a delayed conference only beginning to the season. Too high, too low, or just right? Too low. I would think that there are more that believe that this will be the case, right? I, I Yes. Certainly the momentum over the weekend was shifting that direction. We, we've quoted the, the Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bolsby, your homie, saying... Well, we are making that decision right now. I, I hope they don't because I want BYU to keep the Missouri game. I want BYU to keep some of these group of five games. I don't want to have to scatter and play all the independents home in a row. That doesn't sound that great. But I'd take that over nothing. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's too low. I'm surprised that number is not a lot higher. Certainly, we know the, the conferences that have already made that decision. And even the conferences that are holding out are still talking about it being a, a an option that's out there. It certainly seems like that's the way things are trending right now. Mm-hmm. I would certainly expect that to be significantly higher than just 25%. Okay, 10% of FBS ADs believe there will be a 12-game delayed false start. Too high, too low, or just right? Um, I would say I would say that's just right. I think 10% chance of a full 12-game season well, happening. Delayed, in, meaning you're going into December? Yeah, I, I, I would I say it's about right. I'd say it's right, 10%. I, I think it's maybe even too high. See, I don't see how you're going to get 12 and go into December. That if, if, and if you're going to play, I don't I don't see how 12 happens. Like, again, I said last week, I, I'll be surprised if we play at all. That's, I hope we do. And yeah. I don't, part of me thinks if we say it's going to be delayed and we say it's not going to happen, then maybe that, in, not us, but I mean generally media, I don't feel that powerful here. <laughs> if I say this, if I say this, it will happen. No, trust me. I say a lot about the schedule. Nothing happens. Um, I don't think that the media, uh, the media needs to be careful, right? Of oh, we're saying this, so now people freak out, right? We need to be careful of the influence that we can have, generally speaking, with the media. So yeah, the, the poll of the FBSADs continuing. Eleven percent predict conference only. 20% predict a 12-game spring start. And 7% predict, predict no, no college, college football. football. Wow. wow. Okay. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Power 5 punch to the gut. The Big Ten and Pac-12 conference announcements have eliminated almost half of the 2020 BYU football schedule. Keep in mind, it took years for Tom Homo and BYU Athletics to put this beautiful schedule together. And in less than 48 hours, boom, it's obliterated. No Utah, no Michigan State, no Arizona State, no Minnesota, no Stanford. What's next? Jerem, how in the world does BYU fill their football schedule this fall as currently constituted? Please make it manifest. Uh, it, I, I think it's going to depend on the potential announcement of group of fives. If they decide they want to do that as well, then BYU would be majorly out of luck. Are they in a financial position to do something like that? Well, it just depends how... Well, let's address this. Why are the Power Fives doing this? It, it, it's sort of understood that it's so that they can regulate how... Uh, you play with COVID and how many times you're testing and, and whatnot. How many fans that, are allowed? That, that, 
fans aren't in discussion for me at all in this. You keep bringing up fans. How are we even going to play? Like, is that, that's number one to me. But yeah, you address all those logistics and apparently it's easier to control that. And apparently it makes sense to fly to California and Arizona and play those teams, but not come down 40 miles and play BYU. That makes no sense. I see from the conference perspective how that makes sense, but it makes no sense that Utah could literally come down, play the game and go home in the same day and have the safest possible game uh, with any opponent in the country is against BYU. So I'm not pro-conference only in this situation. I think BYU and Utah could still play. I don't understand why they couldn't maybe do a plus one here. Or guess what? If Utah just wants to play a non-conference game, can they? Like, can they just throw this in there? I know they're going to bow to the league, and you should be in sync with the league, but I don't like that. So how does BYU fill the schedule now with those at least five games done. It makes sense to get Weber State, maybe even Southern Utah, New Mexico State as an independent somewhat in the region. I'd love to see maybe UNLV on there, Wyoming. I'm, I'm wondering about teams traveling across the country to do things. People think, and we've postulated, independent schedules. But as we did on Instagram Live, we discussed uh, last Thursday night, do we really think that UMass and UConn are going to travel across the country? Why would to they? Play? I, I don't. I don't really believe that. I don't really see that. I think it's going to have to be drivable locations. Like, I, I think anything within five to, you could even say eight or nine hours. Like, that's Nevada. That's, uh, you know, UNLV. That's Wyoming. Wyoming. That's Colorado State to some degree, right? Air even Force. Air Force. Like, BYU could put together some kind of schedule. So if you're Tom Homer right now, good gosh, you're on the phone nonstop trying to fill these five games. And it might be more than five games. I right now will be surprised if we, and we have Notre Dame on there. It'd be nice if BYU could play Notre Dame. That'd be great. I, I just have a hard time understanding, given the momentum. I'm not saying this is what I want. I'm just saying what I think will happen, that we will play at all. I want to play. I would love for us to play. And we need to figure out how to continue life with this. Because if we go without sports, that affects local economies all over the country uh, in a great degree. I, I would love to see it. I don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, there's so much there that you just brought up. And so, first of all, let me address the whole BYU-Utah thing with the Pac-12. It makes zero sense that teams 45 minutes away from each other would be a health risk. I don't think it's about that. I think it is about the Pac-12 having the autonomy to be able to grant themselves extra time to start the college football season if they want to do so late. With fewer games. Yes, and... Avoid any potential hiccup if Utah did play BYU and one of the players tests positive for COVID. That is then it, almost guaranteed to happen. Then it threatens Pac-12 play. So why not at least save it until you get into your conference? They want to protect the conference's ability to play those right. conference games. So it's granting more time and saying, we value these games more than that game. Even if it is a low health risk, we don't want to take any chances to ruin something within the conference. So I get that. I don't, because I don't it's think very it's exciting about when ASU and Wazoo play. You know what I mean? No, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's about distance. I, I think it's just they want maneuverability. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, also, how to fill five games? I mean, you brought up some names. New Mexico State is a no-brainer. Independent, they're close. Like, that game could be easily aligned, I would Close-ish. think. Close-ish. Closer. And the Mountain West Conference is struggling, too, because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have left them scrambling a little bit. But literally anyone with a non-con with one of those two leagues is scrambling. They have to fill game. They're going to try and fill game. Will the group of five conferences follow suit? 
can they do so uh, with a financially viable model? And if the if the Mountain West does, then BYU is in trouble. BYU's in serious trouble. You, what is it? Utah State, Boise State, and San Diego State are on the schedule. Then you so lose now, three more games. Now, who are you playing? Like, no one wants to see BYU play uh, Weber State, Liberty, UConn, UMass, New Mexico State, and then uh, return all those trips. No. It's tough for BYU to do anything right now because how can Tom Homo and his staff be sure that any conference will still move forward and play the Cougars? So first and foremost, it's about establishing some type of understanding in regard to the group of five games that remain and their affiliated conference intentions. What are the contingency plans there? Is Mountain West inclusion for one year on the table where they inherit BYU and make them conform to their uh, <laughs> protocols? That would never happen, right? No, because they, the Mountain West, the Mountain West, and BYU will never do anything gonna, again. That was a messy divorce. A change on uh, Thursday, I believe it was the Thursday or Friday morning, two FCS games count toward bowl eligibility now, according to the NCAA. That's what Hawaii did in 07 to get to the Sugar Bowl. So BYU absolutely <laughs> should schedule, as a contingency, yes. two FCS teams. Weber State is a no-brainer to me. And I would say to North Alabama, we'll play you in the future. Stay regional. Stay where you need to be. And BYU says... I thought it was Alabama this whole time. It's North Southern Alabama? Southern Utah. Yeah, North Alabama. What? Southern Utah... Uh, Weber yeah. State, Idaho State, whatever. That's not going to be an issue to me if they're willing, and I think they will be. Two FCS teams count towards bowl eligibility. So, yeah, that's probably the easiest Are we one. even like, playing hey, bowls? Boom. Like, in December? I don't know. With COVID? I, like, I just, that seems like step H in this process, right. right? It's July 13th. I just don't think if you, if you ask me, are we going to play or are we going to not play, I'm, I'm going to guess that we're not. And we're going to try and play. We're going to we're going to talk about every little piece of news and break it down and I hope it happens. I just I just hope it happens cuz right now it is awfully crumbly. Yeah, right now it seems like the best bet for BYU is regional openings with Mountain West teams, add another FCS team and can BYU and Notre Dame finally at least discuss the possibility of a game this year given everything that's happened. It's not a discussion. It's Notre Dame telling us. There's no back and forth. But would there. Notre Dame leave Indiana and travel to Provo? I don't think so. We'd have to go. Like, there. this game's not going to be a neutral site game. No one's going to be like, yeah, play neutral site. It's, they're going to have to be contained in home environments. Yeah. Look, what we know about the 2020 BYU football schedule as of today is that the Cougars are in need of five opponents to replace the teams from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that have dropped off after announcing that they're going to go conference only. But what's the best course of action for replacing those games? BYU can wait for the other P5 schools in hopes of maybe locking in some higher-profile teams, or they can schedule programs who are available right now in order to start the clock on practices allowed to begin six weeks before your first game. So, Blaine, what is the top priority? Is it scheduling the best opponents or scheduling quickly in order to be able to practice? So for me, it's a timing thing, first off, because I think it's very important that that NCAA clock get taken. Because remember, what the NCAA does is they take your first game yep. and then they do the math backward and say, this is when you can start officially practicing. Right now, the players, a lot of them here on campus and voluntary workouts, they're, they're footing their own bill to be up here. You know, They're not getting scholarship checks. The team can't feed them, any of those things. And so they're here with the anticipation that they were going to start next week, right? And so 
Right now, BYU doesn't have a game that would allow them to start next week. So everything is in limbo. The players are in limbo. They don't know what to expect. They're worried about their finances, all these kinds of things. I feel like BYU's got to get something done, and they've got to do it fast. I do know this. Tom Homo has been working on this long before we heard the Big Ten's announcement. Remember, the Big Ten was the first to come out, and then the Pac-12 followed. Which took everybody by surprise how early the Big Ten made that announcement. But but Tom knew that this could happen. There were rumors and rumblings about this for a few months now. So he's been actively in contact with a lot of people from before that time. And then, of course, that the pace quickened. If he can get a big-name opponent and lock somebody down in the next week or so where they can have a have an early game scheduled, I mean, I would opt for that. Uh, you look, there, there's several teams in the Big 12, and Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, made a statement the other day that individually those teams are looking for games. He made that statement publicly. So how about Oklahoma State in the opener? They were supposed to play Oregon. That game got canceled the same day BYU was supposed to play Utah. Or perhaps a TCU that was supposed to play Cal, a Pac-12 team that canceled that same week. I think if you can get a team like that and you can do it in quick order, you do it right now. But if if time wanes here and you get another week or so, then maybe it's time to talk to, to Utah State if you can't get one of these and say, hey, could we move that game to the first week so both of us can get a clock ticking? You, you look, the P5 teams without a, a week one game that are out there. I mentioned Oklahoma State. I, I, I love that matchup. I think that'd be great. TCU, That's which who is. That's I went with yesterday. Yeah, because TCU's a, a former rival, right? Yes. So, so you could do that. Um, Alabama, you know, Alabama has an open date. They, they were supposed to have an opener with USC, so that's canceled. Um, and, and I love the mentality. I know that Kalani has said to the players, you just keep working hard yeah. and let us figure that out, and you be ready to go. And Kalani has just said, we'll play anybody, anywhere. We'll play them. Look, I can see the benefits of both scenarios, and especially in a season like we are all expecting with so many unknowns, I really don't think either course of action is the wrong way to go. Ultimately, I'm going to go with scheduling the best teams possible. And yeah, that means you are going to have to wait. But because you don't know how many games you're even going to play this year, you have to go in with the mindset that you're going to play all 12 games. Therefore, you have to have all 12 games scheduled on the chance that maybe things improve and you can play all. Look, that's the way I look at it. And if you're going to play and plan on 12 games, I think you try and schedule the best teams that you can. And obviously the risk that you're going – this all is all about risk versus reward. The risk in waiting – is that if the rest of the P5 conferences go conference only, you may have missed out on locking up the other teams. The other side of the argument is that if you schedule these teams now, what happens, let's say, if the Big 12 or the SEC decide, you know what, we're not going to go conference only, and then you actually had an opportunity to schedule one of those because they were interested in putting BYU on the schedule. It, It really is one of those things where, you know, Tom Homo really does have to prioritize like what, what's most important because you, you really are waiting for these other conferences, which you assume would follow suit and go conference only, but you don't know. And so, so let's say you wait and then all the other independents decide to go a different direction and they schedule and then they're not available. The other part is, and I agree with the Utah State angle trying to move that, but what if the G5s also do the same thing? And And then the G5s aren't available. Not only are they not available to schedule at the beginning of the season, but now that's more games that you lose from your current schedule. Well, Think about this, Jason. So things change every day in this environment, right? So Bob Bowlesby said just a couple of days ago that the Big 12 teams are looking to fill in games. So that would tell you that at that moment, he was thinking they weren't going conference only in their smaller conference. But, But that doesn't mean that 
tomorrow that doesn't change. It's just and such he, a changing environment. And, they, and he has said that they expect to have some sort of idea or direction by the end of the month. They're, they're not going to make a decision right now. They want to make sure they give themselves time to make the best decision possible. So, honestly, within the next two weeks, we should know how that angle of it's going to play out. I, I, I feel bad for the players and for everybody right now, but for the players especially because they don't, when am I going to get a scholarship check? When, check? when do I start yep. practicing? When is the team going to be able to feed me? All of these things are up in the air until they figure out a schedule, and that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, we mentioned Lopini Katoa. He's been included on the Doak Walker watch list for 2020. This may be the deepest running back group that BYU has had in a long, long time. The pool is deep. Uh, the question is, he's the Doak Walker candidate. Will he lead BYU in rushing this season? Look, I, I think Lopini will certainly have every opportunity to do so. And he has the most experience of any of the backs on the roster here now, where, where this gets interesting is the fact that there are so many other guys, and you just alluded to this, talking about the, the position in general is really, really deep. There's so many guys at that position that really should be in the mix for carries. So besides Lopini, you're talking about uh, DHC, Devontae Henry Cole, uh, the grad transfer from the University of Utah. I'm really excited to see what he adds to this team. Sione Finau is a guy that... Uh, that was really impressing guys and then ended up having the season-ending injury. So hopefully he can come back and be part of that. Jackson McChesney, we all saw what he did where he set the freshman rushing record, which and he just looked fantastic in that game. And others, those are all guys that will be in line for playing time. I personally am one of those guys that likes to have a primary back. I think that that's having a guy that you can rely on Game in and game out that you know is going to get the bulk of the carries. I think there is a benefit to that. And I hope one of these guys can command that position. As of right now, I think the guy that can command that position, at least right now, I think comes down to two guys. One is Lopini and the other is DHC. Yeah, and and I'm, here's my – I think that Jackson McChesney is going to be the player that if we play football – yeah. At the end when, of the season, Blaine, yeah. When, when we well, when we so when we play football, you. even if it's in the spring, everybody's gonna look back and go, "Whoa, who knew about this Jackson McChesney kid?" Right? Because remember, he played and he had that crazy big game, and and one of the reasons they sat him down, Kalani didn't want to play him at all last year because he was just recently returned from a mission and felt like it was an injury risk, and he wasn't his normal body that he normally has. He still had some mission fat on him, and and they they didn't want to risk him getting injured. I too still have some mission fat. I still have some as well. It's been a while since. But but he so in the first week of spring ball, I'm going to tell you, Lopini Katoa, Jackson Mcchesney, and Tyler Algier all looked really really good with a big huge exclamation point behind Jackson Jackson McChesney. He looks great. He is fit. He is blazingly fast. And I think he's going to be the big surprise and may just push Lopini Katoa for the most carries in that running back. Group. Well, speaking of Jackson McChesney, that brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Our stat of the day, Jackson McChesney led BYU last season averaging 11 yards per carry. They had 25 no, carries. Only 25 carries, right. So. And a lot, and the bulk of that came, obviously, in the one game. But you're right. This is a guy, from, from a speed standpoint, has unreal speed. Not to mention the fact that, that he's one of those guys that can take a hit as well. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's got a low pad level. Remember, this is a guy that, that runs at 10, 700 meters, yet is a decent size 
player. And the other thing is, when I look at that stable of backs, Katoa, Machesny, Algier, Afinal, Henry Cole, they all have the ability to come out of the backfield and catch the football, yes. too. So, so what was once a barren desert is now an oasis of talent for BYU at running back next year. And very eloquent. I, I love that Lopini's nominated, and I hope he, he gets it. But if he doesn't, there's plenty of other talented backs in that backfield next season. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We told you our picks for the fill-ins in the previous segment. Now we bring in the guy who generated the idea in the first place. His name is Zach Barnett of Football Scoop on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Zach, thanks for the idea, first off. We're sitting here going, who's BYU going to play? You provided the ammo for this. So, first off, thanks for providing that idea. Oh, uh... Uh, appreciate the, the kind words, and it was definitely fun. Anytime you get to nerd out on something like this, it's fun, although uh, the circumstances definitely are the opposite of fun. Yeah, they are. And who knows what happens? A lot of this is just, you know, hearsay. Hopefully we have a season. If it's 12 games, that's great. If it's not, I think we'll, we'd all take something over nothing at this point. So let's start there before we break down who you kind of put in the replacement games here for BYU. What are your thoughts on what's going down and where we're headed with college football in general? Yeah, I mean, all along this has been a – I think we've all known it's going to be a decision made ultimately by the presidents, um, which is you know a, a good and bad thing in, in how risk-averse or – uh, risk willing they are t- to take on a college football season in regards to public perception, because I mean, nothing in the last month about pl- these programs abilities to test their players has changed. It's just the circumstances off campus that have gotten much uh, progressively worse. And so it- it's going to come down to do the numbers get better and our college presidents willing to maybe take on the optics hit if they continue playing in an environment that has not improved because in theory, you know, these programs still have the test and are, are still able to monitor their guys. Nothing about that has changed. Right. And then the uh, big 10 and PAC 12, of course, late last week saying we're going conference only that takes out five BYU games and we'll get to those in a moment. Uh, but what, what do you think about what the big 12 said? Uh, Bob Bolsby says, we think it's too early to make that decision. I'm going too early. It's July 15th. Like, when are you going to make it? Because if you say conference only, all of a sudden the other teams have to scramble. So when, when do you think that these decisions should be made if they're going to be made at all relative to conference only with Power Fives? Well, the, the SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has said throughout that he's going to use every bit. He's going to wait until the clock's at zero zero one because time is, is our best ally at this point. So, you know, the, waiting until then, hopefully the numbers get better. And then, it, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all at, at the SEC level to see them come up with some sort of alliance between them and the ACC and the Big 12 just because there's so many, uh, so much cross-pollination of those schedules. It's interesting. When you look at the games BYU lost, as Jeremy mentioned, there are five Power 5 games that BYU no longer has on the schedule. There's a possibility, depending on if some of the G5 schools decide to go conference only, specifically Mountain West Conference teams that BYU has on the schedule. Do you think if the rest 
of the P5 teams go conference only, do you think we will see the, simil- the, the same type of thing happen with G5 schools? Uh, I, I, I think you'd be a fool to rule that out at this point. Um, because one thing that, that I think that it, 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 going conference only does two things for each of these, each, each of these leagues. It allows them to be on the same page testing-wise, and it gives them elbow room in the schedule that, you know, if we have to shut this game down, we can move it around, we can move games up. And so that's something that I think if you're a conference commissioner, it has to be really valuable to you because then you're not, you're not behind the eight ball if you have to cancel a game. So at this point, I, you know, I'd love to say something different, but I, I think you, you have to be aware of that possibility. And if it does happen, uh, BYU better have the independents on the horn, right? And I know they've had to have talked to the independents at this point. So, all right, let's, uh, let's break down the five games you threw in here. It's fun when you look at the names, uh, so let's walk through it. So week one, you have BYU at Oklahoma State. Week two, Virginia Tech uh, in Provo against BYU. Week three, BYU at San Jose State. Week four, Miami-BYU. That's a game uh, from 1990 that BYU would love to redo. And then uh, week 13, Notre Dame and BYU. The Notre Dame game is a sore spot here, by the way, because BYU went there multiple times, and they have yet to return that game contractually. So when fans saw that, they're like, yeah, baby. So what went into the decision of these five? Um, I was trying to think like a TV program. Can you guys have my dog? Oh, oh yes. What's your dog's name? <laughs> Apparently, your dog is not a big fan of Notre Dame playing BYU right now. No, no. Uh, I've got a, a pyramid in my dog now. My dog's doing nuts. Sorry about that. If if you want to take care of the dog, we could we could just talk amongst ourselves for a sec. Unless, oh, yeah. Oh. One second, sorry. Hey. Zach's taking care of the dog. Look, Listen, look, we've all been there. Look, it's it's live. This is this is happening. This is how it works. This is what happens during live TV. This is our first COVID Zoom interview where we had to interrupt for a dog. I think we've broken new ground. I think this is good. Okay, let's talk about this, while, and then we'll get Zach on here in a second. So he's got at Oklahoma State week one. Um, Which I like. I like, too. Virginia Tech in Provo, I think, is a fun game. That's a great game. Week three at San Jose State. Mountain West team have been there in independence. That's a game BYU actually lost in 2012. Granted, that was a Spartan team that finished in the top 25. Miami in Provo in week four. 1990 feelings. Yeah, Miami's that's... always a name. They're not quite uh, what they have been before, right? And then week 13, Notre Dame. And let's bring in Zach. Zach, is everything, is everything good? Yeah, the dog is, a, is a chained up uh, next to a mountain right now. He's, he's not... <laughs> Hey, all good. We broke new ground. That's our first dog uh, interruption interview in the COVID era. We, we were going to do it at some point. So we've laid out your games. What went into the decision of those five opponents for BYU in those weeks? Again, you're, I'm trying to t- uh, think like a TV programmer. Think about, uh, you know, because it, there's a million different ways you can piece this puzzle together. But I'm trying to think of what's the most fun, what's going to drive, drive the most eyeballs. And that's where BYU's brand, you know, plays into it. Um, so, and then at the same time, it's going to be, if I'm in Oklahoma State, who do I have confidence that's going to be able to test their players in a way that makes me feel good about stepping on the field with them and that you're not going to bring the virus on my, in, in, into my locker room, into the stadium. So that's where I think BYU is definitely ahead of any other independent, save for Notre Dame. And so, uh, and, you know, at the same time, I'd love to see a BYU-Virginia Tech game this fall. Who wouldn't? Don't you think it, it is at some point, and, and obviously 
BYU is certainly going to want some of these teams to come to Provo. If we're in a situation where some of these teams sort of view the, the, the non-conference games as we're kind of throwing you a bone, how, how likely is it that some of these Power 5 teams are going to go on the road to, say, BYU or any of the other teams that, that are looking for games? Yeah, I definitely say unlikely at this point, just because, I, I mean, time is, is ticking away by the second at this point, obviously. So uh, I, I think, it, you know, a game like TCU-Alabama, which was kind of my genesis of the idea because Alabama was supposed to play USC, TCU was supposed to play Cal, and Alabama was supposed to be in the Metroplex playing USC at, at the Cowboy Stadium. Well, TCU is obviously 20 minutes down the road, so why can't we make that game happen? Texas A&M and Texas Tech, both lost games against Pac-12 schools. They're in the same state. Why can't we make this game happen? So that, that was kind of my idea of, oh, well, what other games can we make happen? Obviously, most of those games aren't going to happen. But with a school like uh, – with the, the resources and the brand like BYU, you know, if I'm Virginia Tech, I, w- I might feel comfortable about letting them into my stadium. But, you know, getting on the road, getting in an airplane to go to Provo, Utah, obviously that, that, that's a, a long bridge to cross at this point in time. We're talking to Zach Barnett of Football Scoop. What's the likelihood of a 12-game season? What's the likelihood we play it all? What are your thoughts about this? Uh, likelihood of a 12-game season, I, I would say, is decreasing by the second. But the, the stakes, I think, I mean, at, at the base level, these programs still need these games. And I think at the base level, the players still want to play. So I, I think the, the hunger for the game, the need for these games, has still... Uh, is still there. And I think by waiting as long as possible, I think, you know, you invite the possibility that, Hey, maybe the MLB gets its season up and running. They're not playing in a bubble. Obviously those guys, are professional college athletes or amateurs, but maybe by, by late July, the NBA is up and running and maybe the mood in the country is different. And as we've seen in these last week, the mood of the country right now is one of the most important aspects we have in, in this calculus. Absolutely. Well, Zach, we appreciate the time. Uh, here's, here's to these games actually happening. Some of these that you just actually nailed, and we go, hey, Zach nailed it way back in July. So uh, we appreciate the time, Zach. Thank you all for having me. That's Zach Barnett on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Hopefully, uh, these games are replaced and BYU can play a full schedule. But, yeah, it does feel like if we play, it's not going to be 12. We've heard that from Brett McMurphy, now Zach Barnett. That's the general sense. It's like, hey, if we can play several games, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to play as many games as you possibly can. You know, and, and I think in all likelihood, if you're going to get teams to come here, it's going to be difficult to get these bigger P5 programs to come here. If you're going to get home games out of it, you're probably going to have to schedule the G5 teams to come to Provo. And that's a new thought, which we should explore later, which is if BYU only plays eight games, that changes maybe what I think about how many Power 5s BYU should play. Agreed. Maybe just load it up and just go and just see what you can do. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Happy to be joined by our next guest, former BYU women's soccer standout, currently with the Washington Spirit, Ashley Hatch, joining us on the Desert First Credit Union Hotline. Ashley, it's good to see you. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you guys? We are we doing are doing good. very good. Uh, you're currently right now playing in the NWSL Challenge Cup in Harriman. How great has it been to be back in the familiar surroundings of Utah? It's been it's been awesome. It's been super fun. I think one of the best parts about it is like seeing the mountains again and seeing my teammates' reactions every time we go to practice and they're just like staring at the mountains and they're like, Are those real? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> You know, we, we hear about other sports playing in the bubble. The NBA's in the news all the time about their bubble down in Florida. What's life like, Ben, in the NWSL bubble? Um, it's not too bad. It's, you know, they're taking good care of us. We are in the embassy suites here, and we all got our own room, which is nice. So you don't have to, like, you know, be like, oh, what your roommate? Are you taking a nap? Oh, I'm taking a nap, whatever. You can do whatever you want, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, it's just the hotel and the soccer field for us, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, we're doing our best to keep ourselves entertained and busy. So lots of card games. So we, and, and Blaine, you know, alluded to this, we hear the bubble with the NBA and, and we know how, you know, how, how much they're, they're taking it seriously in, in the testing and things like that. How, how much of that uh, are you guys dealing with as well in terms of, the, the testing all the time and, and can't leave, those kinds of things. Give everybody an idea of, of what it's like um, right now as an athlete. Um, yeah, we have been very cautious and very careful. We've been tested. I can't even remember how many times because it's been quite a few. But after every game we get tested, we have to wear our masks everywhere. Um, even like a second we get outside of our hotel room, we're wearing our masks um, in the car on the way to the training field. The only time we can take it off is when we're actually playing soccer or eating. So, I mean, they've got it all planned out. There's hand sanitizer pretty much everywhere you look. Um, we're taking this very seriously, um, but I think it's what's keeping us safe. And we've done good so far to not have any positive tests among the players. So that's good. That's absolutely great. Uh, I think a lot of people are curious how that environment affects the product on the field. Has the game on the pitch changed at all? I mean, you take into, you know, into account no fans, you're in that type of bubble environment. How has the actual soccer game changed if it has? Um, I would say probably the first game was just a little different um, getting back into like having an actual game day, but not having fans, the stadium is pretty quiet. You know, you score a goal and there's no cheers, which is a little weird, but I think we're all getting kind of used to it. And it's, I don't think it's affecting, um, you know, on field play. I think it's still just as competitive as it would be if, you know, if we had fans or if we were in a normal season. So it's starting to feel normal since we've been here for quite a bit now. And it's just good soccer and it's fun to be out there on the field again. As you're out there, uh, pursuing your own career now do you get a chance to follow BYU soccer at all how, how much do you get to to tune in and to keep track of what they're doing um I t- I mean I follow their Instagram I text Jen every so often she texted me and said she watched the first game and stuff so I tune in as much as I can um, Instagram's been a great resource for me um, also in the off season I'm actually in Utah quite a bit. So I stop by and practice with them or come watch their practices whenever I can. Well, and you have some former teammates that are in the NWSL as well. I've got to imagine that's pretty cool to be able, you have, you have these college experiences together. And now you get to experience being a pro together as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun. We, uh, we played Michelle actually our first game. 
Um, so it was fun to see her. And I actually saw her the other day with her little girl, Scarlett. Um, they were getting food and she like walked by and we had our masks on. We're just like, hey, like, good to see you. So yeah, it's definitely fun to see some familiar faces. When you look at what Coach Rockwood has done with that program, you were obviously, you know, a, a part of a of a strong legacy that she has created at BYU. Can you put into words what she has meant for soccer here at BYU? Man, that's a big task to be able to put that into words. Um, but yeah, Jen is just. Um, She's just like an inspirational coach. Like she, I just remember lots of games, like before going out, before going out on the field or at halftime, she says a lot of great things that get us motivated and help us become not only better soccer players, but better people. And I think that's why she's had such great success is she's able to get the most out of her players and um, get them to work together. And so it's, it's really hard to put into words, but she's definitely done a lot and I'm super grateful for her. So being in the spotlight, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of social activism in, in recent weeks, especially certainly from athletes on display. Um, you made the decision to donate money from your goal bonuses to the NAACP in a program called uh, a program called DC Score. Why was that mm-hmm. so important for you to do? Um, that was really important for me to do because, I mean, we all have, we're all in different situations. We all have different platforms. And I felt like it was important for me to use my platform um, to donate whatever money I get from this tournament to two organizations that I feel like I could um, stand behind and support. And um, for those that don't know, DC Scores is a local um, organization that helps kids um, through school and through soccer have kind of a, a better life and a better childhood. And so those are two organizations that I thought would be really helpful for other people to know about and if they wanted to help support their causes and their movements to kind of like raise awareness for those two organizations. You guys play the spirit meaning you guys play sky blue FC coming up on Saturday at 1230 PM Eastern time. For those that want to watch that, you can check it out on CBS all access. How do you feel the team's playing right now as you guys continue through this, uh, this NWSL challenge cup? I feel like we're doing really well. It's kind of crazy to have, like, we've only had four games and now we're in playoffs, knockout rounds. Usually you have, like, anywhere from, like, 18 to 20 games before you get to the playoffs. So I think we're moving in the right direction. We're figuring a lot of things out. Our relationships in the field are developing pretty quickly. Um, So I'm excited to kind of just get to these knockout rounds, and I think that we'll rise to the occasion. So you go win this thing. Then what's the first thing you're going to do when you get out of the bubble? <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do is go home to Orem and see my husband because he's so close and I can't see him. <laughs> I saw the Instagram photo this morning talking about how you're missing your husband right now. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard being this close and not being able to what, hang out. Or when I asked that, I figured that was going to be the answer. Yeah, because we've, <laughs> we've been following that story. That's got to be hard. But yeah, that's a good first thing to do. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for uh, for taking a few minutes. It's great to follow your career in the NWSL. I, I know any time you know that uh, that you guys are in action, social media is talking about what you're doing and what the team is doing. Uh, it's it's fun to watch. We appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. There we go. That's former BYU Cougar, current Washington Spirit forward Ashley Hatch on the Desert First Credit Union Hotline. Desert First, you know why. We show how. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, I would imagine, be- look, 
it's easy for us who aren't in the bubble to talk about, well, you're just hanging out in a hotel room, you know, and then you get to go play your games. But I don't think we have any clue as to just how isolating that probably yeah, is. Yeah, completely separated from family, from everyone, yeah. really. You, you are – the bubble is the best term for it. You're in a bubble, just you and your teammates and the teams that you're playing against as a league, you're in the bubble. It, it's got to be difficult. But I like what she said, hey, anything – to be able to get out and play soccer and put a product out you know, on the pitch, I think that's fantastic. And Ashley always representing the Cougs in a great way. Absolutely. Well, and imagine her. Now, she's not originally from Utah. She, she's from Arizona, but obviously playing at BYU, and she mentioned her husband being in Orem currently, it probably adds an extra layer of uh, frustration to be in surroundings that you're familiar with, that you're used to being around, having your husband 30 minutes away, but yet you're still in the bubble. Yeah, so close. So close, yeah. But you can't leave the yep. bubble. So, so close yet, well, so we, far away. We wish Ashley the very best. Hope they go and win, win it all. Absolutely. Great. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU football has a growing and urgent priority list, especially for Athletic Director Tom Homo. Multiple Power 5 conferences going to a conference-only schedule, leaving BYU with five canceled games and counting. Season's first game now scheduled for Utah State on October 2nd. What? There will be nothing about September to remember, Jerem, if Mm -hmm. BYU doesn't have a game in September. You referenced on Twitter yesterday the NCAA uh, allows teams to practice and hold organized team activities six weeks out from game number one. Um, Game number one is October 2nd, so they can open in mid-August. This is a problem. August 24th would be about the day. Jerem, BYU needs a week one opponent like yesterday. So should that team be an FCS opponent just to put somebody in place for week number one? Now, we learned this morning that uh, Utah State does have a canceled game in week one. So would it make sense to move Utah State into week one? I think that could be an option. I think that should be a conversation that should be had. If Utah State can't, there's other options like Alabama. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But there are other options of canceled games that could happen. I still believe that we probably won't play, but we should continue to try and we'll hack away at those angles on this show because we do it for an hour every day. Let's fill that space, right? Let's go. Uh, BYU is down to seven games on the schedule. If, if you get an FCS team, great. I just think an FCS team is the easiest option. Maybe Utah State is. But as you explained... BYU cannot practice this upcoming Monday like they thought they would on the first day of the extended six-week fall camp because they don't have a game. They cannot. In fact, right now, they're not going to show up and be there because they cannot. They can do, if they want, I guess, voluntary workouts still or whatnot. But BYU is in a situation right now. They cannot practice officially until around August 24th right now because the first game is October 2nd. BYU has to get a week one opponent yesterday so they can be practicing yet i still come from the stance that i'm hoping we play but i just i'm not sure that we are going to hey you got to prepare to play in hopes that something could happen all types of contingencies are in place the idea of utah state in week number one is fun it's kind of the next best thing to playing utah it's still that rivalry game factor it would be a home game for byu 
But I don't know what the Mountain West Conference is going to do. The Mountain West Conference could come in and say, conference only, so no non-conference games for uh, our teams. And then BYU soar out of luck there. They lose Utah State. They lose San Diego State and Boise State, if that's the matter. I hope that the Broncos carry a loud voice in this conversation, and they should because they're the best team in the Mountain West, and that they want to play BYU, and that there's some type of plus-one exception if it comes to that. But speaking with Brett McMurphy yesterday, he said that most Conference commissioners are preparing to play a conference-only schedule, and then we'll see what happens with a team like BYU after that. If there's an exception, yes, give me Utah State. That makes a ton of sense. Or a UNLV who had a scheduled game against Arizona State in week number one go away. Any of those close Mountain West teams, if there's an exception, have BYU play one of those teams. If not... Maybe it is wise to just go out and find an FCS team and be like, hey, let's just go ahead and get this first game on the schedule so that we guarantee, so that, you can practice. We guarantee that we can start practice. If BYU waits for the Mountain West Conference in Utah State, then there's still a chance that they'd have to maneuver practices again if that game goes away. Let's say BYU doesn't schedule this game for two weeks. They're gonna be, they will have had a week less of preparation than everybody else. BYU is in a predicament. All the teams are in a predicament as to how we're going to actually make this happen. Wait, is Alabama in a predicament right now if they don't have an opening game against USC? Everyone's in a predicament that doesn't have a week one. So Utah is in the same situation where they're going to be at least a week late. I don't know who they have in week week two and three. They had non-conference. I think Wyoming was one of those and somebody else. So they can't start for a couple weeks as well. So there are teams that have week one conference games that exist, but it's not as many and it's not everybody. A few dominoes have fallen. Several more are going yeah. to fall. I'm interested uh, to see if Group of Fives will go conference only. Because Power Fives have more money, therefore more testing can be had, right? Group of Fives may say, uh, let's standardize the test in our conference, and it's going to be on Wednesdays, and we're going to get it back Friday, and then you know if the person can play the next day, even though they could get it, contract the virus after that. But I, I don't know how it's going to work. Group of Fives, I don't think you're going to function maybe in the same way because they have less money. It's kind of yeah. different. Jeremy, I would love to ask all of these questions on BYU Football Media Day, but it's not happening because it's been canceled. And frankly, how can they have answers at this point? Right. No, no, no. I I think it's good that they push it back, push it back, get some answers, figure it out. Um, I I think BYU can spend that time actually working on this. I think it makes sense not to have a media day. ACC, SEC, they push theirs back. I think it makes sense for BYU not to have one. In fact, in one of our meetings yesterday, I brought it up and I said, wait, should BYU be doing this? They don't have all the answers quite yet. They're, I know they're working on it. They've been having conversations. And when they do, uh, they could have some kind of preview for sure. the season. Yes. And virtually, that's a lot easier than in person. There's no reason to rush into a scenario where you have no answers right now. Right. And maybe they have some. They just want a few more. They're figuring all that out. We have a special presentation of our Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta Keep climbing. Following the Big Ten's recent conference-only scheduling announcement, you may have heard BYU drops two Big Ten opponents on this year's schedule, a home opener with Michigan State, and a week four road contest at Minnesota. There will be no rowing of the boat. It stinks. No way around it. But, Jeremy, I think the Big Ten just didn't want the heat BYU was going to bring this year, man. Oh. They don't want the heat. Because the Cougars have produced some epic results against the Big Ten Conference. Thus, we present the top five Big Ten football games in BYU football history. They happen to be all the wins. Let's go. Number five, 1991 Holiday Bowl versus Iowa. It ended in a tie, but guess what? BYU was unranked. 
Ty Detmer's final game as a Cougar. Iowa is ranked 7th. BYU's down 13-0. Iowa misses a PAT. That proves costly. Ty Detmer ties the game with 4-19 to go. Iowa missed a uh, would-be game-winning field goal. BYU gets the ball back. Detmer drives BYU down to the 18-yard line. And with 16 seconds left, unfortunately, the last play of Ty Detmer's career as a Cougar is a tipped pass that ends up being an interception, and BYU ties. Kick the field goal! Ties stink. That ended up being the second tie that BYU had that year, by the way. Uh, the, ni- the 91 San Diego State epic, right? But uh, in that very stadium. So yeah. two ties on in the, the same stadium. On the same field. Jack Murphy Stadium? There you go. Wild. Uh, the last two games of BYU played, no less. At number four, Michigan State. Smarty in 2016. It turned out to be a blowout in East Lansing against a team that went to the college football playoff the previous season. 31-14 BYU victory led by Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. Jay Swag Daddy with 165 yards. Two scores on the day. Taysom Hill sealing the deal, scoring late. BYU outrushed Sparty 260 to 85 in East Lansing. Number three, 2015 at Nebraska. This game's known for the Hail Mary, but first, Taysom Hill accounted for 351 total yards, three touchdowns, suffering a Liz Frank injury in the second quarter. Played on it in the third. On the final play of the game, Tanner Mangum finds Mitch Matthews from 42 yards out to win the game, snapping a 29-game home season-opening win streak. Here is the play. Shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. Plenty of time, plenty of time. Mixing 06 with 2015. Mitch Matthews with the incredible catch of the goal line, and BYU takes down Nebraska. Number two, 2018 at Wisconsin. Jump around. The Cougars walk into Camp Randall a year after being blown out by the Badgers in Provo and get some revenge. Squally Canada and his teammates outrushed the future second-round pick, Jonathan Taylor, Aleva Hifo, just saw that trick play. Connecting with Moroni Laulupututau and BYU takes advantage of a late missed field goal. Yes, indeed, the Cougars jump around on the sidelines at Camp Randall. And they end a 40-plus game non-conference home win streak for the Badgers. It's 41, and Wisconsin ranks sixth. That was a big win, man. And the best win against the Big Ten ever. 1984 versus Michigan in the Holiday Bowl at 12-0 and number one. A win is the only chance BYU has at a national championship. Down seven to a 6-5 and five Michigan team. BYU comes back in the fourth quarter and injured Robbie Bosco pulls off an iconic comeback in Cougar history. Two fourth quarter touchdowns. BYU beats Michigan 24-17 and wins the natty. Robbie Bosco to Kelly Smith was the game-winning score. And the Cougars find out later they win the national championship. What a win. And those are the top five wins against Big Ten teams. Bo Schembechler. And Michigan go down. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh had broken his arm. They, Michigan was ranked as high as third earlier in the season. Jim Harbaugh's in a you know sling across the way yeah. there. Those are the top five games against the Big Ten in BYU football history. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. I know you've been following this. We've been doing the best to wear it, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. We're counting up to number 99, determining who is the best athlete to wear each number at BYU. Blaine, today we are at number 53. And at 53, we go with Alan Taylor, the great BYU basketball center from 1976 to 1980. Averaged 11.7 points a game, 57.4% 
field goal. He's the best field goal percentage in the history of BYU career. Big, big That's time. Impressive. Yeah, and he was—he just got better every single year. So it was all whack. Honorable mention: his sophomore year, second team, his junior year, in that senior year, uh, first team, all whack. Uh, he, he was a big time player. And all, that senior year—that was the team with Runya, Ainge, Durant, Roberts, and Taylor starting at center. Really, really great basketball team. Greg Kite came to that team as a freshman that year. Um, Loaded man. He, Allen was a special, special player, and uh, unfortunately, we we lost. Allen to complications of diabetes back in 2014 at the age of 55, but a great human being and a, one of the most efficient players. He didn't shoot a ton, but when he did, it went in. Allen Taylor, number 53, the all-time field goal percentage leader in BYU history. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast Every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.